Biblical confidence is enduring faith. It is a faith, not in my abilities, not in my competencies, not in my background, but it is an enduring faith in a living God. Thus, confidence is never horizontal in the Bible. The source of confidence is vertical. This is Living a Legacy with Bible teacher and author, Dr. Crawford Lawrence. Great to be with you this New Year's weekend. Well, today we begin a series looking at how we can maintain rock-solid confidence in our walk with Christ. Now, if you've been lacking in confidence in who you are and what you do, maybe it's time to change your perspective as to the true source of your confidence. And what better time to start than here at the beginning of a new year? If you're joining us for the first time, a big welcome to you. Our speaker has been teaching and sharing the Word of God for over 50 years, serving as a pastor, conference speaker, and seminary professor. His books include Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, Leadership as an Identity, and Unshaken. The messages we feature on Living a Legacy come from Crawford's 15 years as senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia. Now, retired from church work, Crawford heads the Christian Leadership Mentoring Program called Beyond Our Generation. Well, today's message takes us to Romans chapter 4, where we'll examine what it means to have enduring faith. Hope you can join our study. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. Listen to these words. Verse 16. Uh, the context here is that Paul is talking about faith, and he's using Abraham as a profound illustration of biblical faith. Verse 16, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the, to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Mark Twain is famous for making the statement, that all you need in this life is ignorance and confidence and success is guaranteed. <laughs> well, you know, there's a little bit of truth to that when you think about that. You know, you, you know the old line, they don't know that they can fail uh, and that ignorance sometimes is bliss. When I, uh, when I read that line the other day, I, I thought about Melanie Udan. Melanie Udan, I'm not calling her ignorant, don't get me wrong. But you know who Melanie Udan is? She's a young teenage sensation at 2009 Wimbledon. And uh, despite what the pundits were saying and the announcers were saying, this little teenage girl, I mean, she didn't know that she could lose. And so she played like she didn't know that she could lose. 
I mean, I just loved it. Whenever she would make, them, make a mistake, she would say, come on. I said, I love it. I was giving a high five to the TV and everything. She's a, she was a sweetheart. I just love that spirit in her. Uh, yes, yeah, she had great skill, but she wasn't jaded. She didn't know enough to be cynical. She actually believed, I belong here. And because she believed it, and she had some skills, I mean, she, she went through the third round. Unbelievable. Well, what is confidence? I want to give you the dictionary's definition of confidence, and then I want to give you the biblical definition of confidence. Generally speaking, in what we go by, confidence, according to Webster, is full trust, belief in the power, trustworthiness, or reliability of a person or thing. It's, you know, bottom line, we, it, it, you're confident because you have a track record of coming through. There's believability in you, or sometimes your confidence is not based on your experience, it's vicarious. You've had people to pour into you so many positive, affirming things that you believe it, and so you do it. You're, you're, you're confident. Well, the Bible's a little bit different with its definition of confidence. As you chase down the word confidence in the Bible, and by the way, be very careful of importing uh, dictionary definitions to biblical terms. Let the Bible speak for itself and define what it means in its context. Now, the Bible's a little bit different when it talks about confidence. Confidence in the Scripture is not horizontal, and it's not based upon our performance. Now, there's nothing wrong with us building up our self-esteem and speaking affirming words to our kids. We ought to do that. But biblical confidence really is simply this. Biblical confidence is enduring faith. It is a faith, not in my abilities, not in my competencies, not in my background, but it is an enduring faith in a living God. That's what biblical confidence is all about. One of the great problems in our, in our world is that, you know, our, our ability to sustain faith is constantly being challenged by a culture of cynicism. Think about it. We have taken cynicism in this culture to an art form. Uh, we, have, we have sanitized and made it intellectually appealing to be doubters. We celebrate our incisive analysis, our ability to critique things, to see what's wrong with stuff. We, we celebrate our ability to, to articulate the downsides of things. And we pass that off as if it's really accomplishing stuff. So no wonder we have a whole generation of people who are playing it safe. A whole generation of folks who, who, who are afraid to do things because we think it's intellectually uh, feasible and, and, and appeasing to, to, to think in terms of you can't do it. It can't be done. By the way, I just need to tell you, this is the reason why over the last three or four months I've gone on a fast of, of talk shows. Seriously, I have. I just, I just turned it down. Not that I don't, I, you know, and I might, I might agree, ironically, with the positions of these people. But what I found happening to me, what I found happening to me is that I was getting a little bit uh, negative and pejorative, and I was getting a little bit a little cruel and, and dismissive, and, and I was playing into this, this cloud of can't be done. And I tell you, I don't want to get off into this, but this, 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 this is dangerous. 
And that's the reason why we're raising a generation of low performers. We can't find leaders who will stick their necks out. Why? Because we've given all the reasons why it can't be done. Can't find the best candidates to run for office because, you know, they, they've been told that you know, certain things can't be done. Are you going to be snooping around in my background and you're going to act like as if you never did anything wrong because I ain't running? I got to tell you, this is a big problem. It's a big problem in the church. We immediately jump to what can't happen, what you can't do. And then what ends up happening is, is that we lower our expectations. We're so beaten up by disappointment and disillusionment and people speaking negative stuff in our heads and in our minds, this is how we handle situations. When we hear something that potentially is bad news, our way of coping is to go to the worst case scenario. And the reason why we go to the worst case scenario is that if it ain't that bad, then it'll be an improvement. But think about how crazy that is. You can't live your life like that. And yet the Bible collides against that spirit of cynicism. And by the way, that'll destroy a church. It'll destroy, it'll, destroy, it'll destroy you. It'll destroy your legacy. Bible screams and says, faith is the currency of the Christian life. In fact, you have this enormous statement in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, when the writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Think about that. He makes the narrow declarative statement with exclusive. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He's not talking about saving faith. He's talking about living faith. For he says, he who comes to God must believe in the present tense that he exists. And he has to believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I know that I'm standing up here swimming upstream in a culture and even Christianity that has been affected by this thin, dark haze of cynicism. All of us, yours truly. Yet it's against this backdrop, the Apostle Paul drops in the story of Abraham. It's a portrait of enduring faith. This is not happy talk here, for as we read through these verses, there is an overarching principle that says that our faith is a direct reflection of our concept of God. Thus, confidence is never horizontal in the Bible. The source of confidence is vertical. It is transcendent. It is how we view God will determine what our faith is like has nothing to do with my weaknesses or strengths, has nothing to do with my background, has nothing to do with the negative things that's happened to me, has everything to do with my concept of God. Everything to do with my concept of God. Now, having said that, let's get to the text. And by the way, let me give you the backstory of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. This week, you may, you may want to read this. Uh, it covers the backstory, goes back to Genesis chapter 15, 16, and 17, and then over to chapter 21. 15, 16, and 17, 21, those four chapters of the Bible. And for the sake of time here, let me give you five words that summarize the five characteristics of enduring faith. Uh, here are the words. One, based, B-A-S-E-D, defies. Number three, 
anchored, number four, strengthened, and number five, convinced. Based, defies, anchored, strengthened, and convinced. Now, I love what Paul Miller says in his wonderful little book, A Praying Life. He has this uh, little paragraph on cynicism that I want to read to you that frames the first of these uh, characteristics. Miller says that cynicism begins, oddly enough, with too much of the wrong kind of faith, with naive optimism or foolish confidence. At first glance, genuine faith and naive optimism appear identical since both foster confidence and hope. But the similarity is only surface deep. Now listen to these two sentences. Genuine faith comes from knowing my heavenly Father loves, enjoys, and cares for me. And naive optimism is groundless. It is childlike trust without the loving Father. That's the difference between faith and optimism. Biblical faith is not faith in faith. Biblical faith is not faith in a good idea. Biblical faith is not just, boy, can't we do this? Yes, let's, let's believe God for it. No, that's not biblical faith. For you have just assumed that what you came up with is what God wants you to do. And so you're going to be disappointed every time, and some of you are in that right now. You assumed that your idea was God's will. It's what he wanted you to do. And you have this portrait of God as if he exists to give you whatever you dream up of. And because your dream and your idea was a noble dream and idea, when God didn't come through, you got ticked at God. Yeah, man, at him. And you say, you let me down. Well, you made a bad assumption. You made a wrong assumption. Biblical faith is always, is the greatest lesson I think I've learned in a Christian life. Hear me. Biblical faith is always anchored in truth. Always. It's based in what God said, not just in what I wanted. That's the reason why this book, people who spend time in this book have a powerful, authentic faith. There's a relationship between what God has said, what I believe, and how I live. So it's always based on truth. Let's take a look at the text here, uh, Romans chapter 4. Verse 17, notice God comes to Abraham here. Abraham's an old dude, and he says he's going to bless him with a child, an heir, a son. Uh, verse 17 says, as it is written, Paul says, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. Down to verse 21, look at the last line of verse uh, 21, that God was able to do what he had promised what he, meaning God, had promised, not what Abraham had assumed. God was able to do what he, God, had promised. And so the basis of my faith and the basis of my belief is not some little Christian rabbit's foot or great idea that I want God to do for me or some little Disneyland wish list. No, it is the written and revealed word of God. Uh, remember, optimism is faith in faith. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. So you got to understand, Abraham was not believing something that he came up with. He was believing something and responding to something that God said. 
So it is based on faith. I love that old hymn. Remember those days when we sang old hymns? <laughs> I love that old hymn. Standing on the promises. The promises. Not on conjecture, not on ideas, but on the promises of God. Secondly, quickly. Number two, enduring faith defies the circumstances. Enduring faith defies the circumstances. The hallmark of biblical faith is that it doesn't always, and I decide, no, this is counterintuitive. The, the hallmark, the, 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 the signature of enduring faith is that it does not always reflect the desires or the norm of the group. In fact, faith does not reflect your current reality. More often than not, enduring faith, believing faith, biblical faith defies the conditions in which you find yourself. Take a look at the text again. Look closely at verse Verse 18, in hope he believed against hope. That's a great, that's a great word combination. There is nothing hopeful and affirmative or confirming in his environment, his surroundings, and circumstances that should say that he had a rational reason to believe what he was believing. He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. Then, then verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Abraham's 100, Sarah is 90. And by the way, the word considered there does not mean that he just glanced at his circumstances and pretended that this didn't exist. The word consider means to consider attentively. He stared at his reality. I'm 100 years old. Sarah's 90. Abraham did not run from the reality of, of his condition, that's what I'm saying, or from his situation that contradicted what God had promised. This is where biblical faith is different from some of the garden variety denial that's out there. Biblical faith does not deny the fact, A, I've lost my job. B, uh, we're in debt. C, I've got a health problem. D, my kids are in a very bad place. Biblical faith does not sweep that under the carpet. It does not deny its existence. It looks at it. It considers it. It examines it. It stares it in the eye, but it still believes. And in fact, I have to tell you that ridicule, more often than not throughout the Bible and throughout history, is associated with those who would believe God. Because the truth of the matter is, I don't care how old you are, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you name the name of Jesus, I guarantee you, God will have seasons of gap and deprivation in your life. I guarantee that. You will be called on to believe stuff that, that not only is not a reflection of anything in your past, but denies your reality. That is the pattern. In fact, there's absurdity associated with faith in the Bible. Absurdity. Biblical faith is not a reflection of everybody's best practices always. 
Oh, you're looking at me strange. Well, think about it for a minute. Think about it. Think about it. Think uh, anybody. Noah. It ain't never rained before. <laughs> what are you talking about rain? We don't flood. What flood? What? What's flood? Ark? Boat? What? 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 What are you doing, man? You gonna do what? You gonna put all these animals? What? What are you doing? Abraham himself. Sarah laughed at him. Now don't get so righteous. You 97 years old, and your husband come home talking about you're gonna have a baby. You laugh too. <laughs> oh, Abraham, you got some bad goat's milk last night, buddy. I mean, this is this. Is, you know what I'm saying? There's absurdity about. It. Think about Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh with nothing more than a stick and a promise. I mean, don't get too bent out of shape over Pharaoh. So what, what are you insulting? You, you want me? Now, now hold, hold on. Time out. Time out. You come in here. You ain't got no army. You just got this old dude, Aaron, about as old as you, and you got a stick telling me some God told you to let two and a half million people go. I don't think so, buddy. Well, think, think about David. I think you're getting a picture here. My research indicates David couldn't have been any older than 13 years old when he slayed Goliath. Now, follow me, if you will. He comes there by accident, you know, schlepping the food to his brothers because he can't do anything else. And he hears this nine-foot giant taunting the armies of God. And then he remembers what mom and daddy taught him about the Bible from the Torah. This ain't supposed to happen. So here you have this scrawny kid with a slingshot. Hey, you guys, this is not just Bible stories. Absurdity is linked to faith. And the reason why we don't believe God for more is because we don't want to look foolish. Uh-huh. Yet if I understand my Bible, whether it's Rahab the harlot or whatever it might be, looking foolish sometimes is part of the calling. So, enduring faith doesn't reflect the norm around you. Enduring faith defies the circumstances that we happen to be in. Number three, enduring faith is anchored in God's omnipotence. I started to use an easier word, but if I use the easier word, it w- wouldn't capture it. I started to say enduring faith is anchored in God's power, but that's, that's not good enough. It's not just anchored in God's power. I want to say something more about his power. So the word omnipotence means all-powerful. He doesn't just have power, he is the source of power. Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, looking at five words that summarize the five characteristics of enduring faith. And those words are based, defies, anchored, strengthened, and convinced. And we'll continue this study next week. If you joined us partway in today's message, you can catch it all on our website, livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. We also make it available on a number of streams. Thanks for your emails of encouragement. They help us know that our program is making a difference in lives. If you've never taken a moment to let us know you're there, just a few short sentences is all it takes. Email us at legacy at moody.edu, legacy at moody.edu. Well, next week, it's part two of the message, Enduring Faith, and hope you'll be back to join us. For Crawford and all of us here, God's best in the new year. This program is a production of Moody Radio, 
a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.